Parenting, it's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hello, and welcome back to Raised Resilient. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and I'm so glad you're here. So I want to talk in today's episode about play. I talk all the time on this podcast about how play is so, so important for kids. John Piaget is famous for saying that play is the work of childhood, and that is so very true. It is the work that our kids are meant to be doing. It's how our kids discover really important things about themselves and the world around them. It's also how our kids process the things that happen to them in their lives and how they make sense of those things. So I had a totally different episode planned for today, but this episode came to me just through the course of parenting my own kids. And here's the story that inspired this episode. So about a week ago, it was Friday afternoon and it was a rainy day and I had turned on Bluey for my kids, which again, I'm going to make another shameless plug for Bluey. I swear it was written for parents, but also super developmentally appropriate and wonderful for kids. So sit down and actually watch it with your child. I, you're welcome. (laughs) Um, So anyway, it's a rainy Friday, late afternoon, honestly, probably evening by this point. And my husband's making dinner. And so I decide to do something that I rarely do. I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down and actually watch TV with my kids. I'm going to snuggle up on the couch with them. This is going to be great. And so I had my five-year-old on one side of me and my eight-year-old on the other. And then my toddler was on my lap. And for a few minutes, everything was perfect. And we were just sitting there snuggled up on the couch, having such a great time. And then I noticed that my toddler, who is almost two, started to just get wily. You know, that wild kind of, I don't know what to do with my body right now energy that kids get during, you know, what we typically call the witching hour. She just started kind of moving erratically. I think she was hungry. She was tired of sitting and watching TV because honestly, she doesn't really sit and watch TV. So this was not something that she's really used to doing. And her attention span for it is just not there. So I think it was a whole bunch of factors. So she was just kind of like bouncing around on my lap and I was trying to hold her still. And out of nowhere, she throws her head back and smashes me in the cheekbone. Y'all, I had the biggest bruise. I still have it. Like I can still see it. And it's been a week and two days since this happened. It was the kind of bruise that like you can't really cover with makeup. And so I'm just walking around all week with this huge bruise on my face. And when it happened, I mean, it hurt. Like, I don't think I've cried over an injury um, since, I mean, not that I remember in adulthood, which I guess, you know, I'm grateful that I haven't been badly injured in adulthood, but I just like started to cry. It hurt so bad. And I like sort of threw my toddler off of my lap. Like I didn't throw her, but like I set her down. I was not concerned about her in that moment because I couldn't be like, it was just pain was just like searing. And so I went and I grabbed an ice pack and I went upstairs and I cursed into a pillow and I cried. (laughs) So that's what I did. Meanwhile, my husband picked up my toddler and comforted her and 
you know, I came back downstairs, kept ice on my face, and I could tell that my toddler felt bad. And so she kept saying over the course of the week, she would say, mommy, and she would point to her cheek and she would, she would say, cheek. And I would say, oh, I know. Yeah, you threw your head back and you hit mommy by accident. Do you feel bad about that? And she would go, yeah. And I would let her kiss me on the cheek. So we were talking all week about what happened and I was trying to help her make sense of it. And then today I was taking her for a walk in the stroller and she had her baby doll with her. And I noticed that she was doing something with the baby doll. At first, I wasn't quite sure what it was. But then I noticed that she was taking the baby doll's head and slowly making the baby doll's head hit her cheek. And then she would look at the baby and go, oh, no, baby. And then she would do it again. And when I picked up on what was happening, I realized it was the perfect opportunity to integrate the narrative I had been giving her all week with her play. I said, oh no, did the baby hit mommy in the face? And she said, yeah, baby. And she pointed to her cheek and I said, yeah, the baby hit you in the cheek and it hurt. Ouch. And then she threw the baby off of her lap. Not like hard, but she kind of set the baby down and I said, oh, are you remembering how mommy set you down on the couch and walked away? And she said, yeah. I said, oh, I really get that. You're thinking about that. That didn't feel good to you. And she said, daddy. And I said, yeah, daddy came and daddy helped you. And she said, yeah, daddy. And so she kept on kind of playing this out over and over with her baby doll. And it just made me want to do this episode for you because We forget sometimes how important play is from like the very beginning. Of course, our kids' play gets more complex and there's more depth to it and it changes as our kids grow and change and their needs change. But what is universally true is that children need play. And I think it's a really important mindset shift that we have to make in understanding that, because it's very easy as adults, especially as many of us have been conditioned to work first and play later. And that's still how we live our lives for a lot of us. I think a lot of our parents didn't understand the depth of the need for play. And so play was often looked at as a secondary thing. You can play after your homework's done. You can play after you go to school. You can play after you clean your room. We kind of deprioritize play a lot of the time because we look at it as a nice to have. But what we need to understand, the mindset shift we need to make is that play is not a nice to have for kids. Play is necessary. Play is literally your child's work. And so when we can look at play through that lens, we're going to prioritize it more and we're going to be better able to understand our child through the lens of observing their play. So like most things in parenting, we really need to start with getting our mindset right around how we're looking at play and what we're expecting of our kids. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while now, you already know that I believe strongly that mindset and getting our mindset right is more than half the battle when it comes to parenting in a way that feels good for us and for our kids. And that's why I created my free guide, Six Mindset Shifts to Ditch the Overwhelm and Parent in a Way That Feels Good. This guide has the six major foundational mindset shifts that I think we need to make 
in order to start to shift how we're showing up with our kids. If you're in a place right now where parenting doesn't feel good, where you don't feel connected to your child, where you feel like you are constantly resorting to empty threats, punishments, and control tactics because you just don't know what else to do, you need this guide. You can go to raiseresilient.com forward slash mindset and grab your copy today. It's totally free. I created this guide because I wanted you to have a place to go where you could build a foundation based on the most important mindset shifts that we need to make because this mindset shift around play is really important, but you're not going to be in a place to make that mindset shift unless you first understand certain other truths about your child and about yourself. So this guide is foundational. Definitely go grab your copy if you haven't yet. Again, that's raisedresilient.com forward slash mindset. Okay, so we need to start by understanding the importance of play. Play is not just something our kids do for fun. When Piaget said that play is the work of childhood, what he meant was that our children take in and process information about the world around them, about relationships, about themselves through play. So like my daughter did, with this moment with the baby doll where she was over and over reenacting what happened between me and her that I didn't even realize was still on her mind. She was playing it out so that she could make sense of it. And when I was able to look at her play through the lens of, okay, she's working something out, I was able to see what was happening and then add to that by adding a narrative around it. That is so incredibly powerful. And so today I want to talk to you about how children use play, but then also how you can support your child in using play in the most robust and healthy and deep way possible. So again, the first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize that play is profoundly important for our kids. It's not a nice to have. It's not a thing we do after everything else is done. We need to make space for our kids to play. We need to encourage them to play. We need to be careful not to fill up their schedule with every extracurricular activity so that they have no unstructured time to play. We need to be careful not to fill every waking moment with screen time. Now, you know already that I don't have a problem with screen time. I was watching Bluey with my kids, even my not even two-year-old, which is not what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. They recommend that they don't have any screens prior to age two. But sometimes I think it's okay to sit as a family and enjoy that moment. And I wasn't going to put my toddler in another room while I sat with my boys. There's reality to the fact that she has two older brothers. So I have nothing against screen time. I do think, and you can go back, I did a whole episode on screen time and how to kind of use my best practices approach to screen time. So use it, but here are some things you can do to make sure that it's in the healthiest way possible. But I have nothing against screen time. What I will caution you against is using screens as a cure for boredom. And we've all done it. Your child comes to you, they're bored, they're struggling, maybe they're a little dysregulated, and you're like, okay, let's turn on the TV. We've all been there, no shame. But here's the thing if that's your go to strategy when your child is bored to fill up unstructured time, your child is not going to go play because screens are very much designed to grab your child's attention in a big way, in a way that can be addictive. 
in a way that makes their brain focus unilaterally on the one thing, the screen in front of them. Again, there are plenty of healthy ways to integrate screens into your child's world. But if we are saying every time we're bored, let's go do this thing that is very immersive and even addictive to our brains, our kids are going to learn, hey, when I feel this feeling, this uncomfortable feeling of boredom, I'm going to go watch a screen. So I would caution you against using screens to fill up white space in your child's schedule, okay? And then also extracurricular activities. I'm actually going to do a whole episode. I've gotten several questions from you about, okay, when's the right age and how hard should we push and how do we know which activities? So I have got an episode that I'm planning to do soon all about extracurriculars, but here's the thing. When your child is still a child, so we're talking all the way on up through age 10, your child Their primary work is truly to play. But what do we often do? We often have our kids doing all of these sports and activities, and we have them watching TV, doing screens, and that takes away from their time and space to play. And I think also there can be peer pressure if other kids that they are seeing at school are involved to the point of no free time in activities and screens, then there can be peer pressure to not play. And so it's really important that we create an environment in our home that prioritizes play, that lets our kids know through our actions and through how we structure the day that play is important. And we also need to model that for our kids. You know, I said in the beginning of this episode that a lot of us really don't play We don't have hobbies or things that we do for fun. If we read books, it's business books or self-help books. And I'm guilty of the same thing. For many years, I only read books about different therapy approaches or, you know, parenting books or books about health and wellness. And my husband said to me one day, he's like, you haven't read a book for pleasure in forever. And I was like, wow, you're right. So when I was pregnant with my second child, I read the entire Harry Potter series again from start to finish. And it was so much fun. And it made me realize, you know what? I really miss reading. And so I have made it a point to read for pleasure again. That's not to say that I can't still read books that further my career or help me grow in my ability to take care of myself. But I also want to be reading books that transport me to a completely different world just because. So that's just one example. So many of us don't make that space. We don't do the things we used to love. We lose ourselves a little bit when we become parents. And look, I get it. It's really easy to do that. And I have been there. I have been in that place where all I do is take care of my kids and do my job. And for a while there, I was a stay-at-home mom. So it was literally all about my kids, except for maybe my walk that I would take each day. And then When my second child was about two, I rediscovered my passion for yoga. I found a really great situation with a yoga teacher that I liked and a place that offered childcare. And so I was able to drop off my child and go do yoga in a class setting three times a week. And of course, that all ended with the pandemic and I haven't gotten back into studio yoga. But during that time, I leveled up my practice. I worked on new skills. I created space to learn how to do things like my headstand in the middle of the room. And that accomplishment felt so good. It was so much fun to play around and try these new things. 
Now, if you're listening to this, you might be thinking, well, aren't extracurricular activities that for our kids? And yes, they absolutely can be. They absolutely can be. However, for our kids, because their brains are still developing, play, unstructured, creative play is also really important. So I am not against extracurriculars. My kids do them, even my youngest. She's already taking mommy and me classes and doing fun things like that. But we want to make sure that our kids between school and extracurriculars, especially our younger kids, like 10 and under, we want to make sure that they have that white space in their day where they can play, if that makes sense. And we want to make sure that we're not jumping to fill that with screens. So again, we want to model playing and being playful, right? So it's not just about play. It's not just about sitting down and playing games or doing something that is fun for you necessarily, though that is important to model for our kids. And it's not even about getting on the floor and playing with our kids, although I am going to tell you how you can get the most out of doing that when you do decide to do that. But it really is also about our energy. Are we bringing a playful energy to the room? Because that can be a really helpful way for our kids to learn and grow as well. So for example, let's say that your child is struggling to brush their teeth. They don't want to do it. And this is true for a lot of kids. I mean, I don't think I would like it if somebody else was brushing my teeth. I mean, even going to the dentist, they can't feel what's in your mouth. And so most of us would say it's more comfortable when we brush our teeth than when the dentist does. So for our kids, They don't like it when we brush their teeth. It's not fun. And a lot of times there's some resistance there. One way to work with that resistance is to acknowledge it. I'm always a fan of acknowledging. You really don't want to brush your teeth. I get that. And then bring some playful energy. What if we pretend to be silly monsters brushing our fangs, right? That's just one example. You could come up with a silly song. You could come up with some fun signals that your child can give you when they need to spit. This is just a playful, energetic way of approaching a tough situation. And that is really, really important to bring to our kids when we can do that. We also need to make sure that our kids have some developmentally appropriate toys. And I don't necessarily think our kids need to have a lot of toys, Research actually shows that our kids play longer and in deeper and more creative ways when they have fewer toys, not more. So you do not need to go and fill your child's play space. But looking into what is developmentally appropriate at different ages. And if you're not sure what is developmentally appropriate at different ages, you can Google that. You can look that up and look at what is your child working on. And there's a lot of stuff that you can literally go and buy at Target and make for your child. Even just for babies, pulling tissues out of a tissue box is really, really great play for them. And so you can look into what your child is working on at different developmental levels. And then there are plenty of toys on Amazon, at Target, or even things that you can make that will help your child work on those things through play. And then as your child gets older, I love toys that are multi-use and open-ended. So blocks are great. Lego sets and Lego blocks are amazing. My kids happen to love Lego, but I would argue that most of us, most of us can find some way to use Lego blocks that we enjoy. So 
If your child doesn't seem to be into building with Lego blocks, you can see if maybe there's a Lego set that would inspire them to build. Or maybe they're more of the kid that would like to get a huge colorful set of Lego blocks to just do what they want with. But most kids will enjoy doing something with Lego blocks. And so that's just a great thing to have around and model. Model using Lego blocks yourself. Model building sets and then have your child join you. If your child is hesitant to play, this is a great way to get them involved again. And then what my kids will do is they'll build a set and then over time that set will slowly kind of get dismantled and turned into other things. And yesterday I walked into my eight-year-old's room and he had this huge Minecraft setup and it was this big Minecraft world with all the different biomes, but then he had some of his Ninjago creatures playing with the Minecraft setup and attacking the skeletons. And so he had kind of these two different worlds combined and he was just immersed in this play. Marble runs are great for kids who like to build things. That's another one that's really fun. Just plain wooden blocks can be really fun. I get asked a lot about how to and should you incorporate toy weapons, especially guns. And this is one where I will say, I'm not a fan of guns. I personally don't like them very much. They make me uncomfortable. And so we will never have, just for safety reasons, any kind of pretend gun that looks realistic in any way. But our kids do need to engage in aggressive play. That's actually really important and it becomes important around age three and it stays important throughout childhood. Our kids need to have an outlet for this. And so one thing I love is foam swords. We have foam swords that our kids keep in a bin and they get them out and have pretend sword fights. When they're frustrated with us, they might show us the sword, but they won't hit us with it. It's a way to communicate that, hey, I'm really frustrated right now. So we've learned that and we can help them verbalize that in those moments. But these are such great, safe toys for our kids to engage in aggressive play. I also really like dolls and stuffed animals and keeping them around as long as your child is interested. You know, as kids get older, they might have one stuffy that's important to them and they won't really play so much with that stuffed animal, but my kids still play with their stuffed animals. My five-year-old has a very rich fantasy life and his stuffed animals come to life after he goes to bed. It's like after the lights go out, they come to life and he has this whole elaborate game that he plays and names for all of them. And that is something that he really loves. Whereas my oldest at age eight really has one or two special stuffed animals that he really plays with. But then sometimes with his brother, they'll come up with these setups and they'll play with their stuffed animals in that way. I'm a big fan of not gendering toys. So my boys had dolls and my girl has trucks and and I let them decide what feels right for them to play with. And I never make comments about what boys should play with or what girls should play with. And that in and of itself is a whole other conversation. As a mom of two boys, I feel really strongly about how we're raising our boys and the messages we're giving them. And of course, for our girls, that's equally important for different reasons. So at some point I will do a whole episode dedicated to that, but I try really hard to give my kids access to a whole wide variety of toys and then let them decide what they're going to play with. So I'm a really big fan of having these toys around and available and then creating some space in your child's day where they have nothing else that they need to be doing, where they can play. So on weekends, instead of scheduling everything to the very last minute, 
It's important to let kids also be home sometimes. And when our kids have that space in their schedules, often they will gravitate back to play, even if they haven't been playing a lot lately because you've been really busy. We also really want to respect our child's play and look at it as work and not ever come in and give them messages like, what, you're just playing? Come on, it's time for dinner. We want to make sure that we communicate that it's important to us. Oh, I see you're busy. When you reach a stopping point, it's time for dinner. Do you want to tell me about what you're building? Our kids love to share their world with us. They love to bring us into their world. And so if you are going to get on the floor and play with your child, this is a great time to just observe. I did this yesterday with my oldest. I got on the floor with him while he was creating this Minecraft world. And he just told me about what he was doing. And then after a while, he said, here, mommy, can you build the desert biome? And I said, sure. What do you think the desert biome should look like? And so he started handing me pieces and he said, here, put these together. And so then I put them together. And sometimes he would say, not like that. And I would say, oh, okay, how should it go? And he would say, oh, well, this piece should go over here like this. And I would say, oh, okay, cool. So you're really just observing their play. You are not inserting yourself into their play. You're not taking over. You're not getting frustrated when they tell you, no, not like that. Because again, you're joining their world. And I promise you, you will enjoy playing with your child so much more if you do it this way. If you get on the floor and follow their lead and make it about observing what they're doing and being curious instead of bringing your own ideas into the mix. And you don't need to do this for long. Five to 10 minutes is great. Wait until a time when you've got done what you needed to do. Maybe you put dinner in the oven and now you have a few minutes. Don't get down on the floor with your child when you're thinking about work or you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, I have to send this email because you're not going to be able to be present if your mind is elsewhere. And that's not going to be helpful for your child. It's better for your child to play alone and really be immersed in the play than have you sitting there not being present. And the last thing I'll say about play is that we can really use play to our advantage when our child is struggling with something. When your child is nervous about going to school or your child is scared to go to the doctor and get a shot or your child had a confusing situation happen with friends, you can create opportunities to address these things in play. So you might take two of your child's figurines and you might say, oh, this one has to go to the doctor and get a shot. This little cat is very scared about that. What do you think? How do you think the cat is feeling? And see if your child can join you in that play. Oftentimes, things that our kids are not comfortable talking about directly, oh, hey, buddy, are you scared about going to the doctor? They are comfortable addressing through play because it's one step removed. It's not about them. It's about the cat. So kids will often feel a lot safer addressing difficult topics through play, which is why play therapy as a tool is so effective in helping our kids process traumatic events and helping them integrate new skills and ideas. But if your child hasn't gone through something notably traumatic and they're just struggling with something coming up, you can absolutely do some of this yourself. Get on the floor and just try it. If your child is resistant, that's okay. You can try a different way or you can back off for a little bit. And you can always just let your child know, well, you know what? If this little cat was feeling nervous about going to the doctor and getting a shot, I would really understand that and leave it at that. Your child will let you know when they're ready for more. Now, I also just wanted to say that I mentioned earlier in this episode that kids need to play at least through age 10. And I don't want you to look at that as a hard and fast rule. If your 11 or 12 year old is still playing, that's amazing. 
And sometimes our teens even need to play in their own way. But as our kids hit preteens and teens, that development and their needs looks a little bit different. So we can talk more about that in a different episode, but I don't want you to look at this as a hard and fast rule. And I never want you to shame an older child for engaging in play because it's really healthy and important, even for older kids. So I just wanted to say that. I hope this has been a helpful overview of how play fits into our child's world and how important it is. Of course, there is so much more to say about play. This is barely scratching the surface, but I really wanted to do this episode because play is so important. So again, I hope this was helpful. And until next time, we've got this. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.